This week, the government announced a plan to eliminate family and sexual violence. It's doomed to failure. Let me explain why. So the government has announced a 25-year plan to eliminate family and sexual violence. It was announced by Green MP Marama Davidson, and uh, it was based on this document, which is the National Strategy to Eliminate Family Violence and Sexual Violence. Announced by a Green MP would always raise a red flag, wouldn't it? Uh, and as we look into it, we'll see lots of those red flags. But just looking at the history of these types of documents, we have been trying to tackle this issue for a long time. Even just back in 1985, there was a Family Violence Prevention Coordinating Committee formed. 1996, Department of Social Welfare Family Violence Unit established. In 2002, recognise that guy, Steve Mahari and the government uh, established the Family Violence Prevention Strategy. And then in 2005, three years later, Task Force for Action on Violence Within Families established and a Family Violence Ministerial Group formed. In fact, if you go and have a look at all the government documents and uh, conferences and legislation and documents and reports and legislation and conferences and legislation and more documents, it's just a never-ending stream of them. And so here is another one. Is it going to succeed? Well, based on the past performance of the government, probably not. And I think that's because they're ignoring a few elephants in the room. But the media thought it was a pretty good report. In fact, let's have a look at what they said on the stuff report. They said, while anyone can use violence, the group more likely to cause harm is men. This is because of gender inequities in our society, such as the social acceptance of men's dominance, entitlement and physical and sexual aggression. Well, I don't know about that reporter, but I don't actually see social acceptance of men's entitlement and physical and sexual aggression. Uh, in fact, I think it's going in the other way. In some ways, a, a, a good thing it's going in the other direction, but I don't see social acceptance anymore. Anyway, the reporter continues, at this report, the strategy outlines a complex intersectionalities around who is more likely to suffer violence highlighting the socially acceptable hierarchies of ableism, sexism, racism, or homophobia as contributing factors while holding space for the group that suffers most, Wahini Māori. The strategy is best when it describes how the combination of colonisation, racism, and sexism in Aotearoa New Zealand has increased impacts associated with the intergenerational trauma. Well, I mean, you can see plenty of evidence uh, from th that wording that it's come from the Green Party, but also the whole critical race theory. And once again, ignoring the actual causes of family and sexual violence, which is actually what we want to tackle. This strategy is well-intentioned, but it's flawed. Let's have a look at what some of the researchers says. And it's not that long ago, 2007, the UNICEF report that looked at child well-being said that key risk factors are parental drug or alcohol abuse, single parenthood and weak family ties, in other words, decreasing marriage rates, poverty and poor housing, which often results from that, from that poor family formation, and low maternal age at birth, in other words, teenagers having children. And then we released a report, Lindsay Mitchell wrote a report, a researcher from Wellington on child abuse and the family structure. And it said that the growth of child abuse over the last four to five decades 
has accompanied a reduction in marriage and an increase in cohabiting and single parent families. And unfortunately, Māori and to a lesser extent Pacific families exhibit more of these features and so therefore feature more in the negative statistics around family violence and child abuse. The report also says that the presence of biological fathers matters. Generally, it protects children from child abuse, not always, but generally, and marriage presents the greatest likelihood that the father will remain part of an intact family. Now, there are some of the key factors which drive family violence and sexual violence. So I thought I'd just have a look at the report and just do a bit of a word count on some of the things that they may have mentioned in their strategy. I did a search on the word drugs. It was mentioned twice. One was actually in relation to that being a victim would drive them to drugs. But it was mentioned just once. Alcohol, same again. Mental health, which obviously is a driver of family violence. It was mentioned four times, but twice it was in relation to the type of victims. The biggie, pornography, was mentioned only once in terms of what is driving sexual violence in our society. Social media mentioned just once, and guess what? Marriage was mentioned just once. They're the elephants in the room. For some reason, they don't want to talk about some of the driving factors behind our family violence and our sexual violence. Things like family structure, family breakdown, the formation of families and marriage being the glue that can hold many families together. Not perfect, but by far the best structure. And of course, it doesn't go anywhere near drug and alcohol abuse and mental illness. And we know that those things are desperately needing to be dealt with. We need to tackle them because they are major drivers. Speak to social workers, they will tell you that drug and alcohol abuse and mental illness often resulting from that drug abuse are those key drivers. And until we're willing to tackle those actual factors, we're never gonna solve the problem, sadly. Mm -hmm.